Welcome to the Shake, Rattle and Roll podcast. This is episode 13. Today's episode sees myself have a chat with one of the legends of Welsh boxing, Enzo Macronelli, former British, Commonwealth, European and World Boxing Champion. We discuss his pro career, his amateur career and his transition into coaching. Hope you enjoy. Right, welcome to the Shake, Rattle and Roll podcast. Um... Really pleased today. I have one of the the legends of Welsh boxing, um, former world champion, Commonwealth champion, European champion, British champion, um, pretty much won it all. Uh, Enzo Macronelli, how are you doing, Enzo? Okay. Yeah, good. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me on, mate. No, thanks for thanks for giving up a bit of time. But um, how are you coping at the moment with this madness, with this lockdown? I'm alright, mate. I've uh, I got a garage. I put a couple of bags up in the garage. I've been been back running again. I had a I had a herniated disc last year, so I didn't think I'd ever walk again properly. But I'm back running again, back training again, punching hard, and to be honest, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. But it's um obviously you you're in the same boat as me. You run a gym, so you no news that you know down your neck of the woods as to when these things are going to be lifted. No, nothing, mate. And uh, it's you know it's been great. We needed a bit of um, modifications to the gym, so we uh, concreted the floor. We painted the floor so it's, it's all ready to go but obviously can't uh, really uh, give the green light to the boys they're all nagging me all the time yeah yeah you can't give, really give them the green light until it's uh, we're allowed to basically and we're unfortunate we're one of those sports you know MMA jiu-jitsu boxing that, that you need that contact you know same with the rugby boys isn't it you know you can do all the yeah. fitness and all the bag work in the world but um you know, that sparring is an integral part of the sport, you know, particularly for the oh. for the, the competitive lads, you know, they, they, it's been a tough couple of months. You know, the, the MMA, you're in the cage, you're grappling, you're jiu-jitsu, you're on, a ro- you're on a floor rolling and playing jiu-jitsu, boxing and sparring. You know, you need you need that sort of contact to um, get to that next level, get your sharpness back, get, get all, all the tools you've learned in gym, modified to uh, in, in-ring, in-cage experience. Yeah, I, I, I was saying on one of the podcasts the other day, I've been watching, you know, the UFC have done their best to get these behind closed doors events on, but I think there's been a few fighters that probably um, regret the fact they took the fight because I'll use Anthony Smith as one of the, the highest prover. Anthony Smith has always been a five-round fighter, fought, mm. um, fought a main event and was tired by the second round. And Glover you know, Yeah, and I honestly think that, you know, if he'd had a, a full proper camp, He'd have, be, he'd have beaten Glover, you know, nine times out of ten. But I, I, And Glover's a durable, tough kid, but, you know, skill levels, but I, I just felt, Anthony, you know, I've never seen him tired after two rounds before. As, as you know, I'm a massive MMA fan. I love MMA. You know, I, I speak MMA with everyone. You know, I, I used to love Pride. Uh, growing up watching the Savages, Sakuraba and all them. Yeah, so, yeah. But, I, you know, I watched the fight Glover, Texera and Anthony Smith, and I just thought, yeah, obviously the camp is a, a big part of it. But I thought Anthony Smith played into Glover's hands. If we watch Glo- if we watch Glover, he's walking forward. He's, he's making Smith throw. Yeah, yeah. He's in the pocket. He's making him throw. He's doing slight little adjustments with his hands. He's, I think he's a he's an ex boxer as well. I think Glover. Oh, he's yeah, yeah. He's, 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 I think he was amateur boxer for, for for many years as well before the MMA. He was he was making Glover, and he could do he could do um, Anthony Smith's corner shouting, 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 and. I didn't see a problem like that because I'd be like that with my boys. But my boys, I know my boys are fit enough uh, to carry through. But I think what what Smith is, corner should have told him is hang back a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I think they should have known what Glo 
was with. He's, a, he's an old head in a sport. Yeah, and also, you know, for, for me, DC made a point about there being a little bit of information overkill off the corner yeah, as well. And, you know, but, you know, like you said, they, they know they fight better than you and I. You know, they're they working yeah. with it. But surely, surely they must have... I've never seen Anthony Swift get tired that quickly before in his career. I've been following him a long time. Mm. So I, I think probably that was due to, as we said earlier, lack of sparring, mm. um, lack of that sharpness for the fight, you know. Could well you, be, mate. Well you know, it, it, maybe they should have, as, as you said, approached a little bit different tactically. So I, I probably know. pro pro Glover because I'm, I'm a big Glover. Yeah. I just think I think Glover old manned him. Uh, I think uh, he knew what Smith was going to do, and we say Smith has never you know blown his load, so to speak, but he never had to fight at that pace. Even yeah. against Jones, he didn't fight at that pace. Um, or, you know, Jones is better than Glover, but he never had to fight at that pace. And I think Glover put it on him. And like you said, without that camp, without that that little bit of extra, the sparring, it does take a toll on him. Yeah, I agree. But and he's on, he's on a poor patch, old Glover as well. He's um, four fight win streak now. And it, realistically, if Jones has stepped down, he's got to be he's got to be in the title mix. I think as well. You know, he's been yeah, some he's you know, been some quality boys on the, isn't he on that run as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, obviously, I think if if John Jones is going to fight that light heavy again, or he's going to fight at all, we don't know what he's up to. You know, we don't know if he's uh, playing the cards with Dana. Uh, yeah. But you know, I think Dominic Reyes deserves that rematch. He, even Santos, um, Santos, yeah. Santos plus Jones until he hurt his knee. Um, you know, it's, it's some good fights out there, and Glover and Santos would I think would match up very well. I think it might be good for the division if he did move up to heavyweight because at the moment he's cleaned it out and um, no, no, I, no I, I don't see anybody you know he's, I think he's the best fighter and I think, I think he if he if he does the nutrition right he'll go up to heavyweight and do this you know pretty much do the same as well I think yeah but he, you know he's a, he's a big like heavyweight and he's, he's yeah yeah he, was, long he's rangy he's, he's, a, he's coming down from two thirteen two forty yeah oh amp amp off of heavyweight good movement athletic ability. And you know we talk about Reyes and Santos. You look at the Gustafsson fight, uh, how he changed the second time round, and you know it was a totally different fight. Right, sorry about that. My laptop shut down. <laughs> right, we're back online. I'm gonna have to buy a new laptop. I am. I've had this one a few years. Too tight to buy a new one. I am. <laughs> right. What, what I what, what I've been using these podcasts for ends is is to uh, give people, you know, everybody knows you in a spot, but give people a little bit of background on you know the people that okay. I've been interviewing. So let's go back to the beginning. You know, um, as a young lad, you know, where, where, where did you grow up as a youngster? Ah, uh, Swansea boy. Uh, again, Ross. Um... I was a, a Gendros boy, uh, but my gym, my father's gym was Bony Mine. 
Um, so I was, I was up there from the age of, I think, I say about six years of age, I was up there messing around, winding up all the older boys, probably. They all give me a kick up the ass, telling me to fuck off, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I started boxing at 10, um, won my first Welsh at 11, continued to win them all the way through till I was 18. Um, yeah. T- turned senior, so, so I turned senior 17. Uh, I boxed two elite level boys, which I shouldn't have, they were men. I, I sparked two of them, I went up to Scotland, I boxed the, the super heavyweight champion, sparked him. I had, about, I had about seven, eight senior fights, um, seven wins in the first round, one in the fourth round. It was no then. Um, so c- couldn't get fights, so decided to turn pro at 18. That's when he went pro. Let's go back to that part. So you, you, your dad was your, your coach as an amateur right the way through? Yeah, yeah, all the way through from the amateurs. Um, you know, I had, had a bit of help as well. So it was a bit of, went, off, went off the boil at um, 15 up the park and the boys drinking and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. as you all do. Uh, didn't box for two years. Um, decided to come back. Started sparring Nicky Piper um, at the at the age of sixteen. Uh, he, he was fighting Darius Mikulczewski for the world title, and uh, they asked me for a bit of sparring. So I went up there, done a bit of sparring. He always says he just about got the better of me. He didn't trust me. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was a good spar. It was a good learning experience for me. Sixteen years of age, sparring a, a world title challenger. Held yeah, my yeah. own. Week after that, uh, my dad had a phone call. Um, Mario, his name was, and um, he said, "I've got an elite, an elite class heavyweight senior." He said, "Yeah, Enzo." Uh, he said, "No, no, I'm looking for an elite class heavyweight senior." He said, "Yeah, Enzo." He said, "Mario, Enzo, I'm boxed for two years. We know he's a good kid." And he said, "Nah, you can't put Enzo in with a, a, a novice. You, you kill someone." So uh, they said, "Are you sure?" He said, "Yeah." So I went up there, went up to uh, Pontypool, um, Pontypool Workman's Club. I think the boy was. Uh, I think it was 23, something like that. Uh, lost one fight in 20. And I remember Tony Williams, the coach of Ponty Pool, he wrote an article in the paper. Enzo, very good schoolboy, British champion. Don't expect too much of him. Uh, he's up against it tonight. One minute, 22 seconds later, the boy's flat in his face. Uh, you know, and the story began. Ah, brilliant. So, what was... Did you fall into boxing because your dad, or did you have an interest in it anyway? He made me box. He made me box. He made, yeah. made, made me box. He went to a boxer. Uh, don't get me wrong, I loved it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I was fighting men at the age of 12. I had my first knockout at 13. Um, you know, I, I knocked out my first man at 14. Yeah. Uh, I just loved, I just loved having, a, having a tear up. And I had, I had one of those rare commodities. I had no fear of anyone whatsoever. And I think my dad sort of drilled that into me. Did did come points where if I didn't train, I won't get my pocket money so I can't go yeah. for the boys on the weekend. But, you know, I ate it in my times, but, you know, he made me what I was. So, was you a big lad at 14? Um, no, I wasn't massive. I, I was tall. I sort of, I think I had that growth spurt at 14. I think yeah. I, I, went up, I went up to where I am now by the age of 16. Uh, obviously, I am grown then to 16, but uh, I was carrying a lot more weight um, you know, I didn't know much about diet and nutrition, yeah. and you know, I was I was only training for three rounds, so I knew I knew I could do three rounds standing on my head. Yeah, um, yeah. Like me, round was it was never going past one anyway. Cause I, I was I was literally I was, I always knew I was a I was a banger. You put in, you know, it's very rare you see an amateur boxing with the head guards at the time 
fully grown man would get in spot cold yeah. 15 minutes at a time like so I, I knew I knew I always knew I had a, a god-given gift when did you and when did you and your dad realize that you had that natural that natural power because you know I say this you know being involved in in MMA, I think for the raw the, the guys like yourself has got a raw power it's not something you can coach into people you're no, born no, no. I believe you're born with it yeah I don't care what anyone says you, you do little adjustments little tests, yeah. but you can either punch or you can't yeah, uh, yeah. And I think I think from a young age mate, I went up to I went up to Coventry, I think it was the British Championship semi-finals. Um, I'd been bad for a week, so I shouldn't have actually ended. But I thought, my, my I thought my dad said to me, "Go for it for the first round. If you come back, he said I'll pull you out." He would never pull me out, no matter <laughs> what was happening. He would never pull me out. But I thought to myself, right, I'm just going to give it everything I got. The bell went. I walked across the ring. I threw a one-two left duck. I knocked the boy out cold. A 30-no kid out cold for like 15 minutes or 16 minutes. Yo, so we knew you. then. You knew then I could whack like you were, you were natural for the power. Yeah, you know, like I said I, I sparred I sparred a pro at fourteen. I dropped yeah. the pro when I was I dropped the pro three times at fourteen years of age. Like so I knew I knew I had something. What uh, what, what was you like, like outside of the boxing ring? Was you in trouble or did you know um, would, did boxing give you that discipline to keep you out of oh, trouble? hundred percent. Don't don't get me wrong, I won I won the, the nasty I won a nasty type first. I didn't go joyriding and stuff like that, but I was like I was like a smoke of a joint, and I was got a part with the boys on the white side uh, and stuff like that. And I was lucky because it was it was like two or three sets of groups, and I was with a group. We 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 stuck with the blow, we stuck with a bit of, bit of white side, and then it was the other group who jumped on the LSD and yeah, some of the heavier stuff. So I was lucky. My my mates stayed the one side. Um, as for trouble, not not really. I, was, I ran a town. I was going to get into town when I was about 14, 15. I had a couple of set tools with Dorman. Um, but no, I, I won I was unhappy drunk, but I, I was I was very I was very protective, uh, you know, friend, of my friends, very protective. Yeah. Uh, worked on a door when I was sixteen. Um I one night on a door, uh some some big rider, he, he whacked someone out in the club, the doorman were petrified of him. I walked I don't know who he was. Uh, I walked over to him, I said something, I cracked him. Uh, his brother cracked me in the head of the ball. I cracked. I was 16 years of age. I turned up from work the next day. Uh, my brother was a well-respected man. He'd, he'd been on the phone to him. Uh, they said, oh, we've got to let him go. And I said, oh, so his brother just phoned us. He's going to kill us if we work again. <laughs> Brilliant. Go, going back to your land, so how old was you when you had your first amateur fight? Ten. And where was it to? Where was it to? Remember Clenefly, uh Cam Gears Club Clenefly. Yeah, and that was a win. Yeah, yeah, one of my, one of my first two. Uh, as a, as a young lad, how how did that feel? Because I always say to everybody, your first your first taste of competition can sometimes make or break a child. You know, particularly, you know, you leave a win and you love that sensation and you love that desire and hunger for it. And I've also seen it with youngsters where they lose and it'll affect their confidence to a point where they could have possibly gone on to be a great a great fighter, but that one experience has knocked them back. How was that feel? Did it was it a buzz like nothing you'd ever had before, or was it just another day in the office? It, 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 it was it was a buzz. It was, it was nerve it was nerve wracking. You know, ten years of age, fighting a boy in his own town. You had a couple yeah. of fights from my first fight, um, and yeah, it, it was a bit nerve wracking. I was buzzing at the end, and uh, you know, you say about confidence and stuff like that. I remember my fourth or fifth fight, and nothing to do with my confidence, uh, but I I, I very 
as a youngster, I was very slack to be on my toes and bouncing. Yeah. But in this fight, nothing happened between me and this boy for two rounds. You know, we were just trying to yeah. dictate each other and outpoint each other. I remember the crowd going. So I always remember that day, I will never fight like that again. So I think that was the, the catalyst of me fighting the way I did. The way you I did. I used to like to entertain. I was, I was very slick in the gym. Couldn't catch me. I was up on my toes. I was boxing, slip, slip shots. I, I was very hard to catch. But something happened to me on fight night where I, I seen the red mist. I wanted to entertain. I wanted to knock someone out. Yeah. You know, I, I could get knocked on myself, but that, that was that was my way. I'd love to, I'd love to fight. And I think um, I think that was a catalyst to make me fight the way I was. Yeah. What, what, what was the first title you won as an amateur? Welsh title. Uh, I think it was my fourth fight. Uh, won the Welsh um, one allowed to win the British Yanks, it was 11 years of age, I think. Yeah, uh, a year after, um, age of 12, I won the Welsh, went up to Derby, uh, got to the finals of the British, uh, won the final. I think it was a uh, world, uh, world record, Welsh record winning group. I think, um, Gary Locker was on there, Gavin Reese was there, yeah, uh, Bradley Price was there, Delroy Price was there, and, and who's all really of the, of the Welsh. Boxers of that generation, yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. It was like um, me, Gary, I can't remember, or Damien Dunyan, the boy was Justin Ravenel, Scotty Reese. Um, you know, it was all them years ago, and I still sort of remember 1993. Brilliant. Um, do you play any other sports as a youngster? At football, I used to play football, and what one great night, but I'd uh, I'd uh, at the age of 14. I used to play under 15, so my age, I used to go play for the seniors the same day. Not that I was any good, it's just a very <laughs> aggressive, very fit, and didn't give a fuck. Centre half? Uh, Centre half, they moved me up front, they kept me out of trouble. <laughs> I was giving away too many pens. Kick, kick, kicking them about a bit much at the back, but I can imagine. So, I can imagine. Like right, so, you know, you said you had a little bit of an hiatus between 15 and 17, was it? You said, yeah, yeah. and then you come back, done the spot. So you come back, had that span, you just thought, you know what, I've missed this, or it, was it like a, a thought of, do you know what, I, I probably haven't appreciated just how good I am and I could make a living out of this. What, what was the mindset that made you get back into the boxing? I don't know, mate. I, I don't know. I just thought I was, I was out with the boys. I put on a lot of weight and, um, you know, I, I was, don't get me wrong, I was enjoying myself with the boys, having a laugh and stuff like that. And you know, I still used to go up to the gym now and again, but I was, I was going, my dad used to send me for a run when I was 16 to go for a run. I'd sneak in the bushes, have a fag, uh, come back. And, you know, I just got, I just got overweight and, you know, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't lock in well. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't taking drugs or nothing like that, but it was like, uh, I just weren't feeling good myself. My diet yeah. was shit. And I decided to get back into it. My dad got me back into it and I started training again. And uh, He offered me a sparring with Nicky. Um, it, was a, it was a chance. I think we were at a boxing show and Nicky was playing pool and my dad said, oh, he's, he's going to be next world champion. And then Nicky laughed and, uh, and you know that that was just, that was the beginning basically when I sparred that year. So back then, uh, so where, where did you have that moment? Where you thought, you know what, I'm good enough. I, this is going to be my living. Um, I, I think I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. It was um, for, I remember my first fight as a pro. I knocked everyone out as a as a, an amateur and the seniors. I ended up a, an amateur record of fifty fights. I lost four. Out of 50, so I, you know, I had a decent record. Yeah, very good record, yeah. My first fight, they put me in the journey, man. Uh, done, done win an awful lot. Uh, doesn't get stopped, doesn't get knocked out. There's me thinking, is it? I'll spark this guy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Went on points. I was fucking devastated. Yeah, I yeah. was devastated. And then I realised how good these boys are. You know, they, they say, 
they say a journeyman who've lost all these fights, they are good. Yeah, they, yeah. They are good. Half of them could win half of what they lost. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I went to um, I went to an MMA show in in Bristol, and they had uh, MMA bouts, a couple of kickboxing bouts, and and two boxing bouts. Right. So the promoters come up to me and said, "Oh, Jake, any chance you jump in a corner with this boxer? He's turned up and he's on he's on his own, like you know." I thought, "God, he's turned up on his own." So I've gone over and introduced myself. I said, "Do you want to do some pads?" So I'm warming him up on a pad. I'm thinking. Course, this boy got a bit about him, like, do you know what I mean? I was thinking, yeah. you, you, you can tell, can't you, Enz? You, you, yeah, sure. you, you can feel, think, oh, he can sting a bit, yeah, this. So I said, do you know the lad you fight there? And he goes, nah, mate. I said, listen, I've watched him fight the MMA. I don't know much about him in his boxing, I said, but he's not a great striker. I think you go out there, you put a bit of pressure on him, knock him out. He, he leans over, he goes, I've come yet to lose, you realise this, do you? I go, <laughs> what? I, I never, I, ne- I, I was unaware, you know, that the, he says, yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. Just got to, I've got to take him through the rounds. Oh God! I said, "This is." I, I can't believe they'd ask me going to corner, and I'd agree to it now. And it, it like went against the grain with me. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And, so and like we've got. You get, get you get um, journeyman get slagged off, but without them, you don't see the you don't see the great boys because no. you, know, you I was getting put in with journeyman as all journeyman do. I was going in with boys uh, hundred fights one one five. Yeah. So don't get stopped. Don't get knocked out. I was blowing them away. Yeah, you, yeah. If you can blow a journeyman away, yeah, yeah, agreed. You, you, you go into that next level. But it, and also, they serve a brilliant purpose in giving you, you elite guys the apprenticeship yeah. you need, experience, 100%. rounds. You know, 100%. it's no you know, you know as well as a coach. I say to my lads, at Armour, give me a good three round tough fight over yeah. walk out and disperse of them in a minute because you're getting all that rounds. It's it's all all miles in you know miles in the back pocket feel. But go, going back to the boxer that. Uh, I cornered in Bristol. We went out. He goes out in the first round and he sparks a kid, you know. I, I don't think you appreciate how, how bad the level of striking. She comes back. He says, did I lose that round? I said, but it's 50-50. I said, we're taking put off the gas. So, like, he's looking over. I'm going, I'm going, bring it down. So he, he lost two rounds to one. There was a three-round fight. He won the first one, lost the two. And um, the, the lad he'd fought had sold, like, 150 tickets, you can imagine, yeah. on a small show. But, yeah, it was, it was a good learning curve for me. I actually <laughs> like, I actually took his number. I actually took his number because I thought he'd be handy for some sparring sometime. Yeah, but, like, I, I told the boys before, you've got, you've got these journeymen who, are, who would... They'd lose to all the top boys anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, they of course. Would, they would go 50-50 with the mid-level boys. And yeah. they'd go to the lower level. Yeah. They don't make no money. Yeah. So they, they, you know, I see journeymen seeing boys coming up. They'd have, like, five, six grand a fight every week. Yeah, they get they get a six grand. I know I've heard of uh, of a boy with so many losses, but six grand every week to test the boy. Yeah, and and they 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 are key. You know, I'm aware of it now. They key to the growth of the sport as well, and bringing these bringing these lads through. So you've gone in devastated. You haven't seen them off like you did. So a bit of bit of a jump, like in your mind, was you thinking, "Hang on, am I good enough? Have any doubts?" Spear with me, spear with So <laughs> I, I boxed then um, two weeks later, uh, two weeks later, two months later, um, boxed a boy called Mark Smiley Williams, I think his name was. He looked, he looked a black fella, but he looked like a, an Adonis god. He yeah. took his top off, he was, I'm looking at him, I thought, fuck it, anyway. So we, we sort of, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to go for him. So it's, it's one, of, one of my highlight clips, and I knocked him out in 35 seconds. We just had a square up and I, I just threw from the rafters, yeah. Oh, I just literally swing into the rafters. And the first thing I done was look at my dad. It was as if to say, you know, look at that, dad. He looked at me when I had, you dropped your hand. That's all he said <laughs> when he walked away. I was fucking got him. 
Always striving for perfection, the father coach, really. Yeah. So was your dad your coach at pro as well then? No, no, yeah, yeah, at the time. So where did he go as a pro? Uh, Charlie Pearson, which was uh, Nicky Piper's ex-trainer. You know, yeah. he, he sort of groomed me into the, in this day and age, grooming's the wrong word. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He got me, got me into the the pro style of things. I always boxed at the pro anyway. It was just getting the, the fitness to do the the six, eight, ten rounds or whatever yeah. it was. How, how long was you there for? Because I know you spent a, a large chunk of your career at Captain Ka, uh, Kazagi, and then obviously with Gary Lockett at the at the end of your career. How long was you with uh, with this fella for? When I was with Charlie, I boxed uh, a boy called uh, Mark Hobson, and um, it was the first first day I realised about weight cutting. So I got, I was never a big cruise weight. Cruise weight limit was 14.4. Um, I was coming in about 13.10, 13.11. So I'm, I'm six, seven pound underweight before. Before the, the actual weigh-in, yeah, yeah. Dehydration, before yeah, the yeah. dehydration on the night. So I remember seeing this Mark Robson, and he was the British and Commonwealth champion at the time. Um, and I remember before my, my brother said, um, what's he look like? So I said, oh, this won't take long. I'm going to fucking rip him in half. You know, I'm going to rip that rib cage in half. Get in the middle, of, get in the ring of fight night, MEN Arena, um, Potrazu <laughs> versus Hatton. I remember looking, looking at the ring, out the ring of my dad. I said, Who the fuck's that? Yeah, it looked like you've had somebody. <laughs> so you know, we had a 12 round fight. Um, tough, tough fight. I won the fight, um, but I needed a change. Yeah. And, uh, uh, how much did you, how much weight did he put on? Hands out of curiosity. Well, he weighed in smack on 14.4. So I, I'd assume another stone. Stone, yeah. yeah. It was just a totally different guy, you know. On the way, I could see his ribs. Yeah, you know, I was looking at his ribs as yeah. my lips. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna be fucking. You, you look at some of them at the weigh-ins, and it's like the walk. You know, you look. I oh. use old Jack as an example. He looks like something off the Walking Dead, uh, oh. the Walking Dead series. You know, at the weigh-in, and then they look, oh. they look a totally different fighter on the day. So you made a change after that fight, did you? Yeah, yeah. I spoke to my dad. Uh, I spoke to my brother, uh, and. He always had a good relationship with Enzo, um, and I, I decided to give Enzo a try. You know, I knew I knew uh, my fitness levels were good. I knew he was big on fitness, um, so I decided to try him. You leave on good terms with Charlie? Yeah, yeah. I went down and spoke to Charlie. Um, you know, it, it was nothing bad. It was just I needed something different. I was getting stale, uh, and I needed to just just revamp a few things. So when you joined the Kazai gym, you, you I'm guessing you'd have had Joe there, Gavin Reese, Bradley Price. It was me, uh, Gavin, Kerry Oak, Joe, uh, Nathan Cleverly. Cleverly was there then, yeah. I, I, I think Delroy Price, Bradley's brother, was there as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that was it. I think so. It was a thriving team. Yeah. I, 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 what was the first day training? You know, did you go and speak to these guys before? Or did you? Well, I, I knew, I knew no one for years. You knew off the circuit, yeah. yeah me, and, me and Gavin Box, age 1991, Channel View Leisure Centre, our first Welsh. You know, we, we yeah, yeah. So you, go, you knew him well anyway. Renzo, I knew Joe. Um, and I, I remember, I remember coming home after the session. I remember saying that my brother for me. He said, "How was it?" He was expecting me to be beasted, and I, I said, "No, nah, easy enough. I can cope with that." Fucking hell. Next day, I had to stop, well, I had to stop in a lay-by in a car to take a rest. I was, I was he, he, was, he was big on fitness, Enzo, yeah? It was um, old school about the cardio, yeah? Oh, it, it was just... It, mate, you look, you look at the great boxers of our time, Lennars, Duran, Hagler, Hearns. All they did was run and box. Yeah. 
None of the strength and conditioning. Yeah, yeah. Would the strength and conditioning made them better? No, it'd probably slowed them down. Uh, you know, they used to go 15 rounds. So I think that was Enzo's way. It was literally yeah. someday, you know, all these boys training two, three times a day. Some days with Enzo, it was just once a day. It lasted yeah. about three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hanging. Yeah. But it was just once a day. You know, me and Joe used to go up the Aberdranus Hill. We used to go running for six miles, come back to the gym, do 12 rounds sparring straight away. Yeah. Then I'd go on a bag for six rounds. He'd go on a pad for six rounds. Then we'd swap over. Yeah. So it was like, it was fun. But then he'd have all our time to recover until he got to do it again the next day. Yeah, and it, it was a fantastic group of fighters. Yeah, I'm guessing you all would have fed off each other. You know, success breeds success as well, doesn't it? When you're seeing, you know, it was I, I, it was yourself, Gavin had a world title. Um, uh, Joe, Joe obviously the most dominant fighter of his his generation. You know, it was a fantastic team yeah. down there. Was there any other coaches up and out? Was it all solely just Enzo down there? It, it was. It was pretty much solely Enzo. I used to have others there, just tie gloves and stuff like that. But it was just uh, it was just Enzo and. Um, it was the, the worst worst time we'd have with Enzo is if you had a fight coming up, none of the other boys had a fight, so they didn't turn up. He wanted him to turn up, but I like to say, Gavin and Bradley and all them wouldn't turn up. And you're in, in the fucking gym on your own with Enzo. Uh, you, you've got to be prepared for pain then. It's like, it's like, <laughs> you come out, you'd have, you'd have him checking rice and vegetables after. He just couldn't eat it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, do you enjoy it there from the offset? Because, you know, it, Loved it. Did Loved you go? To, did you go to the um the old gym with, when it was the old gym in the the new no, bridge? No, no, you went to no, the Cumcarn the the Cumcarn one, yeah. Yes. Uh, the old rugby club, uh, yeah. Yes, I, I, I I took a group of lads down there about two years ago. It was we um I put a couple of my youngsters on. Joe's boys run um a white collar event and they needed a couple yeah, of lads. So it was good experience for some of my amateurs. I took them down, but uh, it was nice for them to walk around and it, it was quite it's quite nostalgic, isn't it, with all the posters and the the yeah, pictures sure. and the belts. It's, it's nice for the youngsters to walk around and have a look down there. Hundred percent, hundred percent, man. So, um, you've gone there. Uh, start, you know, start enjoying your boxing. You're doing well. What was your first title you won as a pro? First title I won as a pro was with Charlie. Um, it was a WBU title, which is, isn't the greatest. It says world champion on it, but it's not, it's not world champion. Uh, it was my 13th fight. I boxed a boy called Bruce Scott. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Scott was a three-time world title challenger, an official world title challenger. Took Johnny Nelson the distance. Um, but he was the current British and Commonwealth champion. So looking back, I think... He was a great win. I would rather have won the British and Commonwealth. Ah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would have gone down as one of the youngest to win it uh, and the shortest fights uh, in the cruiserweight division. So that, that was the first one I won. Right. So what what title, what was the first title you won under under the, the Kawasaki umbrella? WBO. The WBO, the world title, yeah? yeah. WBO. Now, you, you, you won that. Now, I say this to everybody, to become a world champion, like you said, you, the WBA BU is a world champion, but I've had this conversation with Gary Lockett, and he says, as a, you guys as boxers, you won the WBA, the WBO, the WB, you know, those, yes. the IBF, those are the ones that you're looking for. How did that feel as a young Swansea boy to stand there? And it was in the Millennium Stadium, I believe you won it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. Millennium Stadium. You know, uh, and, and be crowned the, the best in the world. How was that for you as a fighter? It, it was unbelievable, and more, more so, it was like um, it was it, it was who I was. I boxed a guy called Marcelo Dominguez, uh, an ex two-time WBC champion. Um, the fight 
the fight before me, he boxed that Nikolai Valuev. He's yeah. five, he five foot eleven. He boxed Nikolai Valuev, seven foot two, gave away nine stone, and lost on points. Yeah, uh, yeah. He never been stopped. He never been put down. He had the reputation as the biggest, hardest chin in world boxing, and I knocked him out round nine, I think. Yeah. And um, in the Millennium Stadium, night before the World Cup as well. Yeah. The night before the World Cup, and they had a they had an England top for me to wear in the ring. And I said, you've got no chance. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, you don't realise if I won England top in, that Argentinian fuck, I'd have more support than me. Support than you, yeah, said, you're right. No way I'm wearing an England top. I said, give me an Italian top. I said, I'm wearing a fucking English top. <laughs> what, what What was the crowd for that, uh, Enz? Do you remember? Uh, it was about, about 30,000, I think. What was that atmosphere like, but to come out, you know, I, I, I said, I, my dream is, as you know, one of the, the figures is trying to promote MMA in Wales is eventually, and it's going to be a long road, but to have have that that huge huge event in the Millennium, and we're a mile we're miles from it at the moment, mm. but it's something that I do dream of, and I do believe we will achieve it sooner, you know, soon. What must that be like as a Welsh lad fighting for a world title at the Millennium Stadium? I mean, I, I'd imagine the atmosphere was was bonkers down there, was it? Uh, it, it was amazing, mate, and uh, you know you know get like. Um... The rivalry of football, Swansea, Cardiff, and yeah, like you don't get it. you don't get it at the events. No, I've been down no. there. They all come together, and it's, yeah. it's Wales. It's Wales. Yeah, I, I probably had more Cardiff fans shouting "You Jack bastard" than Swansea boys over there. <laughs> it, you know, it, it was nuts, and it, and it sort of it brings everyone together. And um, yeah. you know, I always say, I'm a, for me, all this rivalry of footballs are all the bollocks. I'm a I'm a fighter, and uh, yeah, you know, the, the Cardiff boys support me, the Newport boys support me, the Swansea boys support me. And I'm Welsh, basically. I'm fighting for myself, but I'm representing Wills. What, what was that moment like for your dad? Mate, I tell you what, right? As a, people ask me, was that the greatest moment I've ever had putting that world title on my on my waist? It's the second greatness. The first greatness was seeing my dad's face is why he won a world title. Yeah. Uh, that's what he's always wanted. Uh, and for me, that was a better... It's mad to explain, but that for me, that was a better feeling than actually winning a belt. Win it, yeah. And, and you know, I'll tell you straight, as a father of a fighter, your dad would have been going through so many emotions on that day stress, nerves, he'd have felt sick. And the, the, the people say to me, How do you, how did you feel when Jack won his world title? And I'll tell you now, it was relief as well. You know, it was like he's done it, you know. And I, I'm guessing your dad was the same, you'd worked up to this point. You know, it's an opportunity of a lifetime, and he grabbed it with both hands. So I, I bet he was bouncing off the chairs when he when uh, when he won by KO. Possibly, mate. He was. Uh, I've seen my dad cry twice in my life. Right, he was a, he's a tough man, yeah. stubborn man. Didn't give a what anyone thought about him. He was just one of them, well respected. I won a British when I was twelve years of age. I seen a tear in his eye, and I seen a tear in his eye when I won a world title. Uh, from that, forever. You know what you done is what a lot of the champs don't do. You had a good, consistent run defending. It. Four, four defenses ends, yeah. Yeah, four defenses. Four defense. So you know, question I always ask fighters is, what out of those five fights, so you've won it, you, you you've defended it four times. Was the actual winning it for the first time the highlight, or were one of the defenses give you a bit more satisfaction as a fighter? It, it, it was. It wouldn't say more satisfactory. It was probably. Um, on par, I boxed a guy called Wayne Braithwaite. I got a funny story about that in a minute. But I boxed a guy called Wayne Braithwaite. Wayne Braithwaite was an ex WBC world champion. Um, he had the reputation of one of the hardest punchers in world boxing. Um, 
he, he was a danger man. And like I said before, I don't, I don't have no fear. I, I normally go in the ring, I got one game plan and knock your head off. I make mistakes and I can get caught myself. But I, I love that sort of atmosphere. I got in the ring with Braithwaite and I, I went the same way. I started throwing bombs, swinging away. And he threw a hook and he hit me in the shoulder. And I remember thinking, fuck, what was that? <laughs> and it, it was like it was like a sledgehammer at me. So from that moment on, I switched. I went back to what I do in the gym. I went I on boxed. the board, hit, hit the jab, and it worked out. It, it was a cracking fight. Uh, but unless he'd have caught me on the shoulder, you never know what could have happened. And the next day, <laughs> the next day, I turned up in a Bristol Open and I competed in jiu-jitsu. But I want I want to touch on that. So you, you know you started training a bit of jujitsu while he was boxing. It wasn't after your career yeah, while he was boxing. I so you don't drink down at Nails in Port Talbot, is that right? Uh, I don't think it was called Nails at the time. It was with the Kevin Cox. It was, yeah, um, they, yeah, they call Nails. Simon Davis. David. Um, yeah. So you know, I went with them, and I loved that. I loved yeah. that. You know, it was it was great. I was um, I was uh, grappling all the bigger guys, and you know, I only had I only had a couple of moves, but they were good. Like how, how long how long did you grapple for? I uh, when I when I entered that Bristol Open, I'd only been doing it three weeks. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, won, I won my first two fights. Uh, and I lost in the semis. Um, I was ahead on points and he swept me about 10 seconds ago. I put, I put the arm down. Uh, he bucked me, put the arm down, and he swept me. I was fucking gutted. But after that, I'd done, I done it for a while. Um, I re- really enjoyed uh, And, you know, I'm, I'm one of these, I argue, I argue with a lot of boxers. And when they say, oh, I go to UFC, uh, USC, uh, I say, look, we've got a split second. I said, if they take you down, I said, well, no, if they don't know what you're doing, you won't go no yeah. chance. Yeah. None whatsoever. Same same as an MMA boy would have no chance. In boxing? No, no. Top boxer. And, you know, I try to explain this to people. I said, you know, it's, it's, a, it's two different sports. They're two great sports, and I love the two of them. Yeah, I remember we, we um, listened to your podcast with Dave and Lily, and... Uh, you know, tickled me when he was saying, like, Dad was saying, ah, oh, but, you know, Floyd have never seen the moves, Conor Gone. Oh, they, you're a prick. <laughs> they, they, but they are totally different as well. And I tell you what, the, one of the biggest eye-openers for me was when Gavin Reese come and started doing some work with the team. And yes. um, just to watch Gav do pure boxing with some of the guys that I had that were decent strikers, couldn't, couldn't land a glove on him, you know. Yeah, uh, different uh, level. Different level. You know, but, you know, yourself and Gav have worked with MMA, and you, you're obviously... Real enough to know that no MMA guy is going to come in and, and, and deal with you in boxing, and, and vice versa. Like you said, yeah. unless you get that snapshot and land that clean punch, you've got a good wrestling or you work cut out. When I used to win a grappling, when I was doing a grappling, I was only about 14 stone, 13, 12. Yeah. And I was going in with boys in, in, uh, in um, when we were practicing, I was going in with boys 18 stone, uh, 17 stone, 18 stone. I was all right. They tried to outpower me, they used all the big moves. Couldn't outpower me. I was all over them. I was like a rash, my fitness level. Who yeah, put me in one of them eight, eight nine stoners? Yeah. Get it. It's like four of them on it. And, <laughs> you know, I take my hat off and I, I loved it. And um, you know, I was what, what was my what was my moves? I said I used to like take side. I was it's not a Kamura, what's the other one on the top? Like, a figure four, Udugrami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said that, or I used to take the back and instead of putting the hocks in, I put the, the figure four across the waist. Yeah, and try and do the chalk. But if I couldn't get the chalk, I was I was good at transitioning the armbar from behind. Yeah, that's, that's the only moves I had, but they were good. So, how long was you doing it for? Uh, I done it for a year and a bit. Like, did did you did you um did you go up in the belt or was you white belt when you no, quit? No, I, I didn't. I didn't go there enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would. I would. To be honest, I would have loved to. Uh, I think I had a. 
I had a, I had a, a letter and a few warnings off um, my promoter, Frank. Yeah, um, you, yeah. Know, you know, I was world champion, I fight for all these belts, and I'm risking and, and, and that's I understandable. Want, I want, it's yeah. over my life. Yeah. It's over my life. I loved it that much. Well, did you do it today? Yeah, I did. I loved it. I Is it something you, you go back into now or not? hundred percent. I want I want one more fight. Uh, I want a fiftieth fight. Yeah. Um, I I have had an offer from Bellator. Um, you know that interests me just to say I have. Uh, but but we will see. But if that doesn't happen, uh, I still I will go back into grappling. So I really enjoyed it. Brilliant. We'll, we'll touch on the Bellator in a bit. I, I just want to finish off on your boxing, but i got a couple of questions yeah. for you around MMA. Um, obviously, after after you lost the world title, and, you know, I, I've seen this uh, on thousands of occasions with fighters, you've achieved the pinnacle of the sport, and some people, after they lose our world title, can lose a bit of hunger, but you're one of those fighters that had a fantastic career after losing the title. You, you went on to, I think it was Commonwealth title, did you? Um, European oh, well, title. Brit- British title as well again, was it, after you'd won the world? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and you've got to be a, a special type of character, really, to maintain that hunger and still still pursue it. it, it uh, have you always been that type of guy? Is it co- what, what kept you going? Was it the competitive edge? I just loved it, mate. I just yeah. loved it. And it, it was like, um, I, I won a European title. Uh, I won a European title. I'll go to this now. I won a European title. Uh, and then... There was a guy called Alexander Frankel. Alexander Frankel, no one wanted to touch him. He, no one wanted to go near him. He was, I think he knocked out his last 22 in the first two rounds. He, he, was, he was dynamite. So I remember Frank telling me, um, you know, we'll we step aside, uh, give a belt up, step aside. And goes, I said, what do you mean step aside? He said, oh, he's dangerous. I said, I'll fucking give him my belt up for anyone. I said, I'll fight him and I'll smash him. So... Mad as it seems, I trained myself. I literally had a, a stopwatch on the floor, it did a bag, I had no sparring. Guess in the ring against this guy. Um, first round, he came out, I knew he was going to come out fast, so I tucked up, tucked the first round. And I, bit by bit, I beat him up, I battered him, I, uh, I literally hammered him. And I think, come back in the, the sixth round, I was sat in the corner, and a guy out with me in the corner at the time, he said, uh, Look at him, he's ready to go. So I, I leaned over like that, and I'm thinking, Yeah. He's ready to go. He says, stick a jab in his face and it'll be over. Yeah, supposedly I should have done that. No, but <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to go out. I've got to go out for the highlight wheel finish. Uh, make a cement. I had the highlight wheel finish, but it was uh, the wrong way around. Um, so he caught me with a left hook. And bear in mind, one of the biggest punches in world boxing. He smashed me with a left hook. I went down. I got up. How I got up, I don't know. The ref said, can you fight? I went, yeah, I he let me carry on. I couldn't even lift my hands up. So the biggest punch in world boxing at the time, he ran across the ring, hit me with another left hook, put me down, snapped my jaw. Um, I had to go back to the change room. My jaw's hanging to one side. He comes in the change room, black and blue. Uh, he said, I, I sorry. And I said, oh, I'd have done it to you. It was, you know, it's one of them things. And I remember leaving. Uh, I was there to get to the hospital because my jaw. And the drug testing guy was there. And he said, oh, you, you, have to, you have to take a piss, he said. So I said, um, oh, i, I got to go to the hospital. He said, you have to. And I, I walked out the door. But I opened the door and come back. I said, what would happen if I didn't take the test? He said, you never box again. So yeah. even at moment now, I've just had, I've just had an oxygen mask on in a ring. I fucking, my jaw's hanging to one side. I still knew I wanted to fight again. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just, I loved the sport. Loved it that much. How long... Um... 
How, how many fights did you have under Gary? So obviously, like the uh, the Kazagi gym, you know, uh, did, did you leave when when the numbers started dropping? Like Joe had retired and Gavin retired. You know, what was what was the reasoning then? The numbers were dropping. I, yeah. I think Angel, Angel sort of lost his hunger with Joe retiring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went back to Angel. And when I come back, I tried to get down to like the heavyweight, which I done well. Um, uh, and we had we had the fight to look good. Uh, but, you know, I think he lost his hunger. I give Gary a ring. Uh, Gary was a bit nervous about taking me on, so you know, I suffered a couple of bad losses. So he put me in a bit of sparring uh, to test me out. Come, come through it fly, flyingly, and um, you know we we uh, joined up. Yeah, and you know from an outside look, and then it seems to me like you guys have got a great relationship as well. You know, um, old, old friends as well. Old like friends as well, and you know, before long before the coaching fight, the relationship uh, uh, you know evolved. Yeah, I, I respect him, and, and what I like about Gary, he didn't try to change me. Uh, he didn't try and change my style. He tried to tighten me up a little bit because he knew I. Uh, I liked uh, I liked the fight. I'm a bit gung ho, uh, but it worked well. It worked well, and you know he listened to me. I, I boxed over Mackenzie. Uh, I got stopped in the second round because the ref done a jump in after he hit me on the gloves, and he, he thought I was hurt. So yeah. the ref on the night said sorry, uh, but I had such a shitty year. My dad died, and my little boy diagnosed autism. Um, I just had a shitty year. I just I just took it. So we decided to take the rematch. I boxed a boy called Carl Wild. Um, I, I won I won fifth round body shot but I was terrible I was absolutely terrible my brother phoned me the next day he said Did he, have you seen a fight back I said no he said he was shit he said, he, he said no he basically said he said I don't want to fight that I'm okay I said you get me McKenzie I said I'll be up for it I said I want yeah. up for that so we come down we training and we had a plan because this McKenzie is strong uh, he was one of the biggest punches about uh and we had a we had a guy had a plan on my toes. We hit the jab, move, hit the jab, move. And after after about two weeks, I said, "Gary, I said I can't do this." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I don't know." He said, "Oh, but he's he's so strong." I said, "Gar, he won't be as strong as me." I said, "Let me meet him fucking head on." And I think the word I said was, "Let's go windmilling." I said, <laughs> "He started <laughs> laughing." But we worked together. He knew I wanted to attack. He knew uh, I yeah. got my best when I attacked. And he just caught up with the game plan then to tighten me up a little bit while I was tagging. Yeah, I yeah. probably didn't. And it was in Cardiff. And it was one of my best fights. And I ended up knocking him out in the 11th round, I think. Um, yeah. And the left uppercut. And he was out cold on his feet. He was actually slumped over, standing up out cold. Gone up, yeah. He's, um, I, I, I've got all the respect. I, I think Gary, you know, world-class coach. And I don't think that... Um, and I say this about the Welsh a lot. I think we're unfashionable. So... Sometimes we don't always get the props, you know, that the that we deserve in the combat sports, whether that be boxing or or or, uh, or MMA. But you know, I've seen the work he's done with some of the MMA guys, and and just watched how he's he's fine tuned them as boxers and, and turned them into really decent strikers. Yeah, and what he does, and what I do with some of my boys who come with me with the MMA and stuff like that, you don't teach them as boxers. You yeah. teach them boxing for MMA. For MMA, yeah. Different, you know, if you've got a, a close close legs in MMA we're going to get taken down um, it's, it's all it's all and that's a good thing about Gary he'll work to your style yeah and, you know it's, it's good to see that uh, MMA fighters are going to boxers to learn boxing yeah and, and, and it's how it should be but it's how the sport is going to evolve 100% yeah. you know if you teach you send a boy to um, learn jiu-jitsu you're going to send him to someone who you think is the best 
Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, and, and that's the way he should be. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I got a great relationship with him. You know, he, he's he's cut from the same cloth as me. Very straight talking, very direct. Daddy. Um, there's no bullshit with him, uh, and I think that's why you know from day one I knew. I, I remember going down without Jack. I would think oh, Jack had had one pro fight, you know, and I, I, I we drove down to Cardiff. We had a cup of coffee with him, and I said, "Well, this is what I'm looking for." And I knew you. You have these. I say this to people. I'm very good with in, intuition. You know, I have a gut feeling, and straight yeah. away I can't, we got in a car. You know, Jack said, that, "That's a boy for you. You're going to work well with him." And he, you know, oh Jack loves him, and he loves oh Jack. He got a great relationship, and I got 100 percent trust in him as well. And and he's not as miserable as he comes. No, across. I say this to everyone. We have a, you know, we he's come to a, you know, he's cornered oh Jack with me for a few. You know, he he done his first UFC back in September, and it's great company. But you know, he's oh, good luck. He's, He's good for the camaraderie of the team as well when he's around him, you know, so he's been a good addition. So I just want to go back because I always ask, you know, I've spoke to Gavin and I've spoke to, to Gary about how good Joe Calzaghe is. Um, how good was he? You were training with him on a on a daily basis. How good was he? Like, for me, it's an outsider. I, I say to everybody, for me, I'm a huge fan. I think he's, a, you could argue, the greatest British boxer. You know, that's, that's just my take. We've all got different opinions, but undefeated... Um, did what he did, didn't change his style. You know, you 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 were up close and personal. What's your thoughts? You, you touched on the point then about the Welsh not getting their props. Imagine he was English. Oh, imagine if he was American. Imagine he was American. Yeah, even better, so, yeah, but yeah. I, I was probably from Kessler onwards, or even before that, I was his main sparring partner. Yeah, you know, yeah. We sparred hundreds of them, and, you know, it's good to say now that I acquitted myself very well with Joe. Um, but he was amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. His footwork, his speed, and it only made me better. When I when I boxed that Braithwaite, he was a southpaw. I had the greatest sparring I could possibly had. I, I had the, the fastest, best southpaw on the planet at the time. Yeah. And he was amazing. Uh, his footwork was good, and um, his footwork, his timing, his his energy levels is something I've never seen before. And, yeah, uh, he, he was like a marathon. You know when you said about the the cardio side of Enzo, yeah. it's still. It, it was a trade for him. I, I, you, could out, you never outwork Carl Zaghi. Never outwork him. Never, never. And um, he, he was he was one of them where he didn't do strength and, strength and conditioning. All he'd done was run, pads and spar. That yeah. was it. Yeah. That, that was it. And you couldn't, couldn't have made him any better. So, you come in towards the tail end, end of your career, you, you've had... And I've heard you say this on you've had 50 amateur fights and you've had 49 pro fights. Yeah. And you've spoke you on that one more. Yeah. Is it going to happen? Were you 39 at the moment or 38? I'm, th I'm 39. Um, I'm 39. I'm probably the best shape I've ever been with. And that's no yeah. lie. Um, yeah. I had a herniated disc for a year. Um, I've slowly started back running. Um, I'm six foot three and a half. I'm nearly 14 stone. I done a, I done a 10K last week in 39 minutes. Yeah. I've done a 5k in 19 minutes. Uh, my punch output is as good as I've been. I feel like I'm hitting as hard as I've ever been. But I will spar and I see how I feel. Yeah. If I spar and after the fourth spar, I turn to Gary and say, Gah, I'm shit. I yeah. say, you know, I won't be doing this. So it, I don't think, I don't would think it be I under will. Gary? It'll be under Gary if yeah, you come back. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got a lot of time for Gary and, uh, you know, I know. I know which way I want to work, um, and I know Gary knows which way I want to yeah. work. Um, and it, yeah, it'd be great. And like I said, I, I do so much at the moment. My boy does a lot of sports. I got fifty boys in my amateur club. Yeah, um, you're busy with the club. If if I don't fight again, it's not the end of the world. 
I'd love to. To finish on that that hundred fights, yeah. On, if I finish on the fiftieth, or maybe you know maybe one more. I don't know. Maybe have a, a, a crack at MMA then, just that one fight, just to yeah. say I have. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I I I would love to see it. You know, I've been a fan of yours for for a long time with the boxing, and I I think you deserve that. You deserve to go out on your terms in Swansea in front of your own people. Um, and finish on your terms. I think it'd be a great celebration. I think you'd sell you'd sell an event out based on mm. it. Be it, you know. But would you have that? Say you've gone out in now and you've cleaned him out in two rounds. Whoever your opponent may be, would that demon come back and go? Do you know what? No, no well, it, you, you might be one and done, and that's it. Yeah, the fiftieth. It'd have to be. It'd have to be a, a name. Um, I couldn't see myself have my fiftieth against some Latvian road sweeper or some yeah, course, yeah. taxi driver. Um, or have one, maybe something big, and that's it. Yeah. But then it's all ifs and it's all dreams. I heard Kovalev was going to cruise away. Uh, I, I told a couple of people, I said, fucking put my name in the hat. Yeah. And I said, are you mad? And I said, no. I said, I hit harder than Canelo, I hit harder than others. At the end of the day, uh, I need something like that to put a bit of fear in me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I need I need something that's going to get me get me focused, get me switched on. Um I'm not saying it will happen, but you know, I'd have no, I'd have no qualms. Would I, would I fight one of these youngsters coming up? No, don't interest me at all. No, no, and it's not about that. You, you, I think, I think talking to you, I can feel you're not looking to have a run at the world title. You, you won that fiftieth fight, and and just a bit of a, I'd like to see it, but as a, as a, as a celebration of your career, I'll be honest with you. I think. I think it would be nice for you to go out, you know, in front of, in front of your your hometown in Swansea. I just think it'd be a fantastic end to your career. Yeah, cheers, man. And you know that that would be ideal, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, out of all the fights you've had, what's what was your toughest ever fight? Marcelo Dominguez, world title. Uh, yeah. One world title. I said earlier, toughest chins in boxing. I remember in the third round. I threw a jab, and the jab, it was only a lazy jab, so I, I was aiming for him to throw a jab back. So he threw the jab back, I made him fall short. And as he fell short, I hit him with the right hand, flush on the chin. And I mean, when I hit people, they go. I know yeah. that, I've done it for years, right? I hit him on the chin, he looked at me, in his grunt little Argentinian accent, he went, good shot. I was like, fucking hell. So, you know, I, I knew I was in for it. You knew he was in for a tough old battle, yeah. He yeah. had a tough back on fourth fight, I... You know, I should have gone on my tours, but I stood with a shorter man in the pocket, and it was it was an hard, hard fight. But no, it was uh, it was a good fight. Um, what what and one one last one on your pro boxing career before I want to talk a bit about your coaching. You know. What was it like to fight Roy Jones? You it, know, because it was, it, it was surreal. And yeah, it was, like, it was he somebody that you looked up to as a no, fighter? No? no, as as a as a talent, one of the best ever. Yeah, yeah, one of the greatest of all time, without oh, doubt. Oh, without, without a shadow of a doubt. And my my heroes were Tyson, Holyfield, the, um, Gatti, Chavez, Barrera, all blood and guts warriors. Yeah, your blood and guts type of fighter that gets in there and has a brawl. He yeah, was yeah. too good. He yeah. was too good. And when he was in Vegas, when Joe fought Hopkins, he probably can't remember this, but he blanked me for a photo. Did he? So I think he turned around, didn't I? And these things... You, you you sound very similar to me. I I hold them type of things personally as well because I've come full circle. You know, as as a young up and coming coach, I've been in um I've been at big events, similar sort of thing where 
I won't name names, but like a high-profile coach, um, as, as, as you've said, blank deal. And then you'll see them at a UFC event and they want to come and have a conversation. Mm. And I, I, you know, I, I'm quite black and white. It's like, nah, mate, listen, I remember sat next to you in a Cage Warriors event and you tried to mug me off in front of an audience full of people. You come over here and I'll try to shake my hand, you know. But, uh, but how things will full like you said, and you end up knocking them out. Yeah, it, it was surreal. It was like, um, yeah, I had a phone call and um, would have been interested in fighting Roy Jones. I said, yeah, it's all right, I would. I in in Moscow, that. if I remember rightly, was yeah, it in Moscow? Yeah, in Russia. I said, fucking Russia. And <laughs> we had to go to the press conference first, six weeks before. And yeah. it was a couple of days after that, that plane got shot down going over Russia. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So I was shitting myself flying <laughs> over Russia. Anyway. So we went to Russia and... Um, I had about two hours sleep. So we travelled through the night. I, I, I must have looked pissed at the press conference. I was, I was hanging out, sleep deprivated. Uh, so it, it was mad. We went, we got picked up to go to the press conference, and Roy was in the hotel, and he got picked up in a in a Rolls Royce. Right, me and Richard Maynard, who was fans right that one, they picked us up in a three wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the press conference. Um, you know, just no one. No one bothered him. He is all, all about Roy, and yeah. you know he's they, they're interviewing him, and um, he's saying, "Oh, you know, I I'm gonna move out to Russia, and, and I'm not gonna have anything to do with a black man, with a, with a black family who come want to come over to the most racist country in the world. It's got to be about money. Of course, it's got to be money. That's the only thing it's got to be. And um, we we trained, we come back, uh, we went back out there, um, and Gary couldn't make the first day. So yeah, he came out a day later. So Alex Hughes um, came out with me and uh, he took me on a pads. And when he when he took me on a pads, we were in like a, in a gym. And the, the rattle I was hitting the pads with and how sharp I was, I think they started getting worried then. I think they thought, oh, fuck, we, we made a mistake. So yeah, yeah. Gary came over, we trained, we'd done a normal things, went to a press conference. I was quiet, I answered... No, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm, not a, I'm not a bad person. I'm a nasty person. I'm not saying that. It says an honour, fight them and all that. So we guess we guess the arena for the weigh-in day, and you have you have a, a medical. So Roy goes in before me. He has a full medical. Um, I sit down. The doctor says, "You Enzo?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "You good?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Good luck tomorrow." That's <laughs> <laughs> so he sent me through. Uh, we had the we had the weigh-in. We had the weigh-in. Shook hands. Um, and he tried to pull me towards him, and I remember pulling him towards me, and I, I said, look, it's an honour and a privilege to fight you tomorrow. I said, but you've made a mistake, and I, I will knock you out. And he laughed, and I said, I will. So we get back to the hotel, and all through camp, I, I bust my hands far, and I didn't do a lot of sparring, but I had a pair of gloves by Adidas, and they were, they were, they were soft gloves uh, to protect my knuckles. Yeah. But Roy, it was sponsored by Rival. Now, Russ, Russ Amber... Who's the the owner of Rival? He phoned Gary, met Gary in the hotel lobby, uh, and he, he met him with Bob Bob Plant, uh, UFC catch. I know Bob, Bob well. I know Bob really uh, well. Yeah, Bob Bob Bob, Bob being a lot of my friends. Brilliant. All right, player. son. Uh, all <laughs> right, son. And uh, Gary phoned me. He said, "Look, you better come down to the lobby." I said, um, "Why?" He said, "Oh, you've got to try these gloves on." I said, "Gat, I got to wear the gloves." They give me, he said, hey, come down and try them on. I said, God, my hand's bad. I got to come down and try them on. So I remember putting it on 
And I remember, I remember later on, I remember giving up to John Phillips to try on. And John said, fuck, I'd rather get it for the name of me, Mick. They were like Breedlock. Like, like yeah. But I remember putting my hand in it. I put it down and I went, yeah. So as I'm walking up the stairs, Gary texts me. And on the text was, silly fuckers wanting to wear them gloves. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was just a surreal experience. And, you know, they made me wait for about 20 minutes. They, they played bagpipes for me to come in the ring, which I think, the confusion of Mac must have been Scottish. Yeah, McCallum. so thought he was from Braveheart, Scotland, wasn't he? Yeah. Then they started playing God Save the Queen for me in the oh, ring. Oh, God. Um, and it, it was just mad. And when I knocked him out, the old place went silent, completely silent. How, how many was there for that, uh, end? I don't know, mate. It, it was loads. It was packed. It was like a, yeah. a nice hockey arena. It was full to the brim. Yeah. As he, as he was out cold on the floor, I went over to the corner, done a sign of the cross, and you know, everyone, everyone thought I'd done that because it was Roy Jones. I'd done that. I don't want to hurt anyone. Um, yeah, yeah. Regardless who it was. But you I want everybody to make a full recovery, yeah, don't you? Yeah. And as I'm in the corner, I'm on my knee, I'm, I'm looking, I see a hand come in the ring. Have you seen the film Bloodsport? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the cleaner when he picks up the tops? <laughs> it was Alex Hughes. <laughs> hand coming in the ring, pinching Roy Jones' gum shield. <laughs> And he, he's got it to this day. If you sell it for a few time, quid on eBay. Uh, if if we got time, I'll tell you what Alex got up to afterwards. We'll get into that later. Yeah. But it was just a surreal experience, and um, it, it was mad. We had a visit then after by the the Russian mafia, and you know they went. Oh, it was just a long story. It was crazy. It was. But uh, it wasn't experience. And what what I need to have on your resume, you know, a KO against Roy Jones. I, I like. I, not, not so much that. I, I know he won as good as he was. And no, but he's, st he's still Roy he's still Jones. Like, but I, I went, I spoke to him after the fight, I went in after the fight, and he said, look, I'm not as strong as I used to be, and I'm not as fast as I used to be, he said, but I'm still very strong. Uh, he said, he's sparring some of the top world boys. I said, I'm more than handling my own. He said, I can't believe how strong you were. He said, I can't believe how much you switched head and body uh, and how good your jab was. And for me, that was amazing. Because uh, yeah. if I was him, I would have said I'm 130 and useless. You know, yeah, yeah. That's the only no. reason we won. But it, it was great. Some of the stuff he said. Great to have the feedback off somebody like that in a positive manner as well, 100%. isn't it? And I, I still stay in contact with him. We have a chat now and again on text yeah. and stuff like that. So it's nice. No, but um, what I want to touch as well. I remember you doing that tweet saying, this is me beating a prime Roy Jones a couple oh, of weeks back. Oh, but just don't get it, how, how much fun can we have on Twitter? The, pe people have no sense of, of sarcasm. They have no sense of banter. The I post stuff. Right? I'm not a football fan, but I'll go on there. Say, for example, um, United lose 1-0 to Liverpool. I, go, and I, I don't follow it. I don't go like, good God, how did United lose? Ah, they were robbed. There was this, you know, on another day that could have been... And people are, are people I don't know are messaging me, you know. Did you watch the same fucking game as me? Have you lost your <laughs> mind? You know, and I, and I just go back, listen, mate, you know, I just felt... But when when you because you you are you are a little bit uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, close to the mark not close to the mark you know you you doing it in a joking manner aren't you 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 do it you and you must you must tweet and you must be a bit like you think right come on let's have a look what comes back off you yeah. to be honest right I got some good followers yeah and, um, I think if if I get a bit of shit they uh, they get on their back I repost it retweet it and some of them are savage it was some. Some guy said something about me 
10 years ago, walking past him in Tesco's uh, when he was selling poppies, and I was looking at the floor. So I replied, and I said, look, I can't remember that. I said, it's not like me to look at the floor. I said, maybe I was having a bad day. Maybe, maybe I was too tired. Maybe I didn't like the look of you. Or maybe I just didn't want to give her that moment in time. So people are seeing that, and he ruined this guy. And this one guy said, he said, Jeff, he said, um, I think you're one of them men who sniffs a bouncy castle when the kids are gone. The <laughs> <laughs> so next thing, next thing, the his account is blocked, he blocks everyone. And uh, it's it's just you know, some of them are close to the mark, but it's um, you know, it's nice to know that I got that I got followers who's on my back. Yeah, no, you, 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 some of my, your, your tweets are some of my favourite ones because I think, yeah, we're off down a rabbit hole with this one now. People are going to start biting. Like, like, oh, brilliant, brilliant. It's mostly the Americans. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a boxing fan. I know the score. Uh, you know, would I have knocked him out in his prime? 100% if I'd have caught him. Would if you'd have caught him, him, yeah, yeah. Would I have caught him? Fucking 99.9% chance I wouldn't have touched him. <laughs> but, you know, but... Some of these Americans are oh, they jump on there and they go mad and I've got this I got this gift now. I think I've done it a few times. You've got Rocky and you've got a joke going over his head and he's just lost in the joke. <laughs> Some idiots on there, right? Nah, brilliant. Right, let, let's touch on the MMA. We spoke about it earlier. You are a big fan and all that. You you know, we've had conversations on Twitter about different fights and um you, you spoke about the the offer off Bellator, and I think I heard on um, the, the Lights Out podcast, you mentioned that if you could pick an opponent, it'd be Vanderlei Silva because you think he's somebody who'd come and have a, a stand up, a stand up bout with him. I just think, or was that a bit tongue in cheek? No, it's not. No? And um, you know, don't get me wrong, I know his ground game's superb, but he's not going to go to the ground. No, he's no, gonna, he's going to want to come and meet me head on. Uh, he's well past his best. I'm probably past my best. I'm going into his sport. Uh, obviously, I've got to be careful with the kicks and stuff like that. Um, but you know, if if that was offered to me, I would jump at a chance. Yeah, I I I'd go more. I'd love that more of a chance than a than a fading Chris Weidman who's going to take me down and just yeah yeah me. of course mate yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not stupid and um, <laughs> I'm not stupid in the slightest. I know the score. I know how hard it is to grapple with medium level grapplers. Yeah. Uh, so you know, not the top of the ring. So if if it was offered, uh, I think Bellator did have Wanderley. I don't know if they still got him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, still there. If they, if they wanted to promote a fight uh, for name recognition, I think what what bigger for me to win than me versus Wanderley? Two boys. Someone's getting sparked. Yeah. Um, someone's getting sparked. It's not going to last very long, but I think it'll be I think it'll be uh, tidy when it happens. He um he's had a bad accident this weekend. I don't know if you've seen it. He oh, um no, yeah he's been involved in a car crash. He's you know he, he's up and about, but he's had he's been bumped about quite bad. So I think it'll be a while before he fights. But again, you know it's all it's all ifs and buts they've offered me. Um, uh, I said that that would be an interesting fight. Um, yeah. And he said, oh, but are really going with Vanderlei Silva? I, I think Silas is a perfect fight for you. That that would make sense. It makes sense. Hundred percent, and it's no pride rules. So you can't kick me in the head. Of the <laughs> I'm, I'm like that. But you know, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of MMA, and like yeah. I said, you know, if I went into Bellator, I'm not looking at doing no running for a title or nothing like that. I know it's I'm too old to learn. Go in, couple of highlight fights, earn some money. Yeah, and you know, it's just I think more to say that 
because I'm such a big fan. It's just nice to see you know. You've done it, yeah. And I think you know you're one of those competitors where you 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 would enjoy that challenge. Hey, no one's gonna want to take a straight a straight right off you with four ounce gloves on. Right. Apart from Van der Lee, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, if he comes in, he's honestly thinking that he's going to start eating those type of shots. He's going to be in for a short night, isn't he? Uh, Van der Lee would be a good fight stylistically. Um, is there anyone else out there, you know, that you think, oh? No, I, I just, I just see him, and I just know it's going to be a war. Yeah. I just know he's going to come in windmilling, um, and obviously I'll, I'll windmill back, and you know, my, my hands are ten times better than his. But then, um, would would the would the leg kicks play effect if I stand off him too much? Yeah. Um, I I I don't think um, I don't think I don't know how I'd react walking to a cage rather than a ring. It's all it's all new to me, and people people don't get this. You know, you know when I see um, people commenting, "Oh, I'd fight him for a million pounds and stuff like that." You wouldn't physically be able to make the walk to the chain. Yeah, spot on there. You'd be that nervous. You, you know, I see people, oh, I'd have gone in with a prime Tyson for a million pounds. No, you fucking won now. No. You wouldn't have made the walk to the, from the change room to the ring. The, the actual fear would have played a part there. You're right, but, you know, people people outside of combat sports, whether it be boxing, jiu-jitsu, they've no understanding of that process and the mindset it is for a fighter, you know. Um this game is nine. I say straight. It's ninety percent mental and ten percent physical. Hundred percent. You know, you give me an average athlete with a fantastic mindset over an outstanding athlete with a weak mindset any day of the week as a coach, because I I, I can mould the physical side of you, but I can't mould the mental side of you. Not all. Can have an effect boys, on it. I always tell my boys you're fighting. I'll only accept the loss if the boy is better. Yeah. As long as they do everything they can, they put all the effort in and give me hundred percent. I can't ask no more. Yeah. Um, and I, I tell them all. I want no excuses after to lose. You lose. If you give me your best, you give me your best. If the boy is better, there's not much you can do about it. It, it, uh, it is is a big learning curve. You know, when I first started competing many years ago, I remember entering a, the Welsh Open, and um, I use this story for all my students, and I've, I've brought it up in podcasts. There was eight of us in the division. So you had a, a league of four and a league of four. It was a round robin and a round robin. The top two went into the semifinals. And I uh, I won my division and I submitted everybody. And then I went into the semifinal. I won that by submission. Then in the final, I fought a boy that I'd submitted in the group stages. Right. Uh, he, he was ex-Marine, fit as hell. I was on my ass, And he, he beat me on points because he took me down yeah. and I was just too... And I came from here, it was the biggest, and I've, I've said, said to myself, I will never lose again because I'm not fit enough. I don't mind losing. Yeah. If he'd have subbed me and he was a better fighter, I can put up with it. I've lost, I've lost plenty of bouts. But it's never because I'm not prepared and I'm not given 100%. And I, I, I agree. As a, as a, and I think, again, though, ends the reason why you're being successful now as a coach is because you've been through it as a, as a competitor and as a fighter. And there's some fantastic coaches out there that have never had combat experience. I'm not disputing that, mm -hmm. but I do think it helps. I do. I really believe that, you know, if I've got to have a standoff with one of my pro fighters and they say, they can never turn around and say, well, what do you know about it? You know, you've yeah. never had to cut weight. You've never, you, because I go, I know everything about it, but I've done it. I've been there. I've cut yeah. the weight. I've had the fights. I've done the, the, the 12 week training camps. I've done the dieting. It's experience, it's experience it's you know, and also as well being there, when you see one of the young amateurs, it seems getting a bit jittery as they're about to walk out on cage while he's a big event, you know, like, 
this is normal, this is natural, just breathe. Yeah, this, is, yeah. this this kid in fighting is feeling exactly the same because I've been there, I've, I've, I've experienced these feelings, you know. So I, I'm a great believer that it does help you as a coach, you know. And as I said, there's some fantastic coaches out there that have never competed. But for me, I'm old school and I think you've, you know, you, you've got to have done the art to, to, to be teaching yeah, it. Especially in the corner, especially in the corner when things are going bad and, you know, Enzo Calzaghi never boxed before. He, he, was a, he was a freak of nature. Uh, but in that corner, you need to have some sort of rebel, relevance of what is happening, um, what's going on, and how you're going to cope with it. And if you've never been there, it, it's it's got to be hard. I, I, and we, we talked to the, the Anthony Smith situation. I think they, I think that was a fight where Eddie, they chucked Eddie Bravo in. Um, was, that, was that the one? Um, no, that, he was in the Ferguson corner, wasn't he, Eddie Bravo? Ferguson Tony Ferguson. Corner, sorry. Yeah. Ferguson, they chucked uh, Eddie Bravo in. And he said, what am I supposed to tell him? Yeah, yeah. I like his honesty in that as well. I, I listened to that on the Joe Rogan podcast where he said, you know, this was a stand-up fight and they've, they've, they've made me go in mic'd up into the corner. I, I'm a grappler. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you what true. to do when it's a flow, you know, so... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point, but if if you was to fight MMA ends, what would you know? What would you want? How long would you want to prepare for it? What would you fight? You know, what would your camp look like? What would you be doing to prepare for that sort I of thing? Obviously, obviously, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just box. Um, obviously, I want to go back grappling again. So yeah, I probably have to. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm too old to learn everything. Uh, I still remember some things. Yeah, so obviously. I need to learn the basics of tying up and strolling and things like that. And, you know, I don't env- envision them, especially if it was Vandalay. If it was Vandalay, I don't envision it going very long. I don't envision it going on the floor unless one of us are on the floor. And um, it's, I'd have to find myself a proper camp um, and do things properly. You you got lots of options around with you. You know you got you got Johnny Phillips. You got Mike Edwards. Boys that I know you know well who would be perfect perfect really wouldn't they for uh, yeah. for, for preparing for a fight like that as well. You know so I think it'd be great for you. But I trained with John last week. He asked me to give him. I think he, he might have a fight soon. Um, so he asked me if he uh, uh, we do some training together next week and stuff like that. And John John's ex fighter and my dad's uh, a good friend of mine. So. You know, we uh, I gotta push him through his paces. Yeah, great. John, John boxed at your dad's amateur gym, did he? When he was yeah, boxing. yeah, he boxed me. Uh, in, um, I think he, I think you see my dad as a more more grandpa to him than anything. Else. Yeah, so yeah. They, they got they got on very close. They got on very well, and they were very close. Let, let's talk a bit about then um, your role now as a coach. Then it, was coaching something you always had visions of getting involved in, or did did that by chance? Or I've been, I've been coaching for years. Uh, my dad had his own club and. You know, I'm, uh, I've been coaching. I mean, I was matching my dad's show when I was 15, 16 yeah. years of age. Uh, you know, I always loved being involved. I went over to Russia to fight for a European title and I won in Russia, uh, won a European title, first round knockout. Uh, I'm on a phone in the middle of the ring. People are wondering who I was phoning. I was actually phoning my dad to find out how one of our amateurs got yeah. off in, the, in yeah. Azerbaijan in the championships that day. So, you know, I've always had a hand. Uh, my my dad passed away in 2012, um, so me and my brother took the gym over. Um, took it over probably. My brother then passed away last year for a heart attack. Oh, sorry, um, I didn't so realize. I was, I, sort of stuck, I was in two minds where they gave it up, so I couldn't cope with it on my own. Yeah. Um, and then I got a, 
uh, Luke Jefferson, ex fighter of my dad, he's come on board to help me. Uh, Tobias Webb, my nephew, uh, and Mark Davis, look after the youngsters. So, you know, there's a few of us there, the gym's running well. I, I got about 50 kids in there as well. I, I, that, that's, that's lovely for me to hear as well, the fact that you've continued the great work your dad done for decades, do you know what I mean? And it's, the gym is still going. I think that's fantastic, you know. Um, yeah. uh, is it just amateurs you're coaching or are you doing any... Pr- um, so, I'm on a verge getting a pro license as well. Uh, if if some of my amateurs won a turn, they've yeah. asked if I would if I would coach them. So they'll carry um, through as a pro with yourself, then, yeah. Yeah. It's, so and um, you know, I I I'd be interested in helping get some MMA boys and yeah. things like that. You know, I I just I enjoy teaching people who want to be taught. Yeah, I so I, I think bo- I I think boxing could learn a bit from MMA in that respect. And, and stop me if I'm wrong, but I believe, is it right that if, you, if you're a, a licensed amateur coach, you can't coach pros as well? Used to be. Yeah, so how does it work Used now, Ed? No, I think it's okay now. I think we're going to have a pro license and an amateur license. But yeah. a few years ago, uh, a few years ago... Um, it was one or the other. My, my, sorry, my wife's been a bit of, a, bit of an idiot behind the camera. Like. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a couple of years ago you uh, could only have an amateur or a pro license. They couldn't. It, it was it was many years ago. Pros and amateurs couldn't train together. Ridiculous, uh, isn't it? Yeah. And when I was 14, 15, without me sparring pros, being a bit sneaky and going on sparring professionals, um, there's no way I would have learned. Yeah, I yeah. could not. I could not spar a fifteen-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I've got um, like I. I'd say ninety percent of my top tier pros. Then I've had since they were amateurs as kids. You know, I've I've oh, I, I've brought them through from kids to, to to where they are now. And I I think I think that's been key to us as a team for for the success is is being um, consistent. Then, for want of a better term, they used yeah. to my partner coaching. I'm used to them as fighters. I know them inside out, um, and I think it helps. And and you know, where we're very fortunate now. We're in the new gym. I've got three lads that's competing in the UFC. I've got a, a stable of cage warriors fighters, but I've also got now a group of amateur lads that are learning so much from training side by side in these sessions oh, with these elite level guys. Hundred percent, and um, you know, I, I think that's the way forward. You know, obviously, I'm still training myself, so some some nights then I, I go in the gym. I haven't done it for a while, but I go in the gym. I spar all of them. Maybe yeah. about twenty five boys. Yeah, I spar a lot of them. Um, the super heavyweights are going to be the unlucky ones because I might let a few go on them. But all the, all the others, uh, we, yeah, I just move around with them and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So, and that, I, I enjoy it. And it's, it's hard to explain. But when they fight and when they win, I get just as much buzz. As yeah, I, I, agree. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, I'm I emotionally... I love sport. You love it. And also, but, you know, when you've had these lads that have been with you, like, you know, I've got like Marshman, Edwards... These are boys that are 30 years of age, but have been with me since they're 15, 16 years of age. And you're emotionally attached to them as well. You know, oh, it's, a pers- it's a personal journey. It's not just like a professional fight to coach with me and my guys. There's that relationship there where I got 100% trust in them and they got it in me, you know. Um, and I think that's been key to the success with the origin. 100%. I, I, well, oh, nearly, nearly two years ago now, I had a young kid, uh, William, uh, 21 years of age one of the brightest talents I've ever seen rugby, boxing straight A student uh, passed all his business degree exams up in London I sent him up the Repton Club in London he went and won the championships up there 
wicked, wicked fighter. Had a, a, a rich, a rich family, so never wanted nothing. Had a good family, took him yeah. everywhere. Enticing the sport, took his own life uh, two years oh. ago. Uh, when all this, I re- really, really, really affected me. Um, and from from now, I go in the gym and I, I make it known to the boys every couple of weeks. Me and the coaches, you no know, any problems. You come and speak to us. This this will this will told me everything. He told me everything. He told me, told me his first time with a girl. Everything. My, yeah. My wife said he, he can't go tell me what. I said, well, he can't tell his dad, can he? Yeah. He's, uh, he's telling me all this, and but obviously it, it was something he was hiding and I didn't know about. Um, and from that moment on, me and the coaches we make sure every now and again just tell the boys, look, got anything to tell us? Anything at all? Sexuality. Uh, yeah. money problems family problems you know you can talk to us or whatever you want and I think that that's important I think we live in a new world now and I think uh, when, I, when I say the world is soft I don't, I don't mean in a way but when we were in school uh, teachers shout to you you listen a teacher tell you they're going to call you dad you shit you son yeah, now, yeah. now they're not allowed to shout they're not allowed to do this not allowed to do that and I think some kids just growing up not not knowing how to handle problems. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's no resilience anymore. You know, I I work in a school ends. You know, uh, I still work in a school as a behaviour manager. You know, and I work with a lot a lot of vulnerable kids. And there's no resilience no more. You know, like you said, when we was youngsters, you had a, a, a an obstacle or a problem, you had to overcome it. Today, it's yeah. too easy to to make an excuse up for things. You know, and um, what you touched on there about sexuality, I think that's the key one. I mean. In boxing and MMA in particular, there's no high-profile gay 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 um, competitors. Yeah. Are you telling me? I, I, I bet there's a I bet there's a few. Gotta be, but you know, you know, rugby in rugby they start to, to to have the courage to come out now, and and in different sports around around the world. But are you telling me that there's there's not one um, competitor UK in boxing or MMA? You know, mate, some of the females have come out, you know, uh, and but I still think that there's a stigma, and as you said, that 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 can have such a toll on you as a, a, a as a, a young a young lad. Hundred percent. You know, 100%. so I, you know, I just want I just want to make sure they they talk and you know they you know that I wouldn't judge whatever. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a new world we live in. And I I yeah. I couldn't give a toss. That's <laughs> and, and that's great, but that you've got that approach, you know, the personal. I'm gonna get my phone up because I've got some questions off the internet, um, quick fire questions to wrap up with. Oh, There'll be a few few others gonna put a smile on your face because there's a few characters that you know. Right, Kieran Gibbons. Oh. Ask Enzo how I stopped a fan beating him up while we were doing commentary at S4C Chwarian, is it? <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? It was a, it was a fight. Who was, was fighting? Um Jake Anthony Morgan Jones. Um Morgan Jones won the fight. I thought Jake Anthony won the fight. I said on commentary, Jake Anthony won the fight. Um, and it was a bit of a dodgy decision. And you had this big lump. He, he started walking over. He started shouting. And he said, what's the matter? And he said, ah, you're braving the refs. You're braving the judges. I said, what do you want I'm braving the judges? He said, you're braving the judges. I said, nothing to do with me. I said, I'm on a mic. He said, I'm telling you now, Jake won that fight. You're braving the judges. I said, look, it's nothing to do. And he went, he said, um, he said, I'm going to jump over that railing now. So I stood up. I said, you jump over that railing. I'll fucking smash it. And <laughs> <laughs> my mic gone and everything. And Peter gone, oh, you know, you better calm down now. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
uh, you know, again, a dead one had done nothing, but just let it roll. If he jumped all that regular, I would, I would have fear for he's having one. Right, next one's off your, your coach, Gary Lockett. Oh, Ask yeah. Enzo what happened with us and Putin's Hells Angels in Moscow after he stopped Roy Jones. This will be a great listen, Shake. Right. After a fight, uh, I guess in the change room we all celebrate and two big fellas come in the ring and they Putin's Putin's guards. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've actually said this on camera before, so if I die, you see off of it. We blame Lockett. Yeah, blame Lockett. It's Lockett's fault. So they, they come in and um, they told us to go with them. I said, no, I have my top off. They said, come with us now. I said, no. So next thing, they, they picked this kid up or pushed him. He was holding a TV camera. They smashed him against the walls. So we all looked at each other and went, yeah. So... Dudley Williams, Liam Williams, he, he smashed a bottle or something behind him. You know, fair play, the offense was in. I'm in. Alex Hughes has gone, oh, I think I'll wait outside. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, right, come with us. We, we walk up a change room, me and Frank Warren's son, Francis. Um, going up a change room, we stop. Uh, Francis says, oh, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. So I said, well, you haven't got much of a choice now, have we? So I'm looking, I'm looking at the guy, you know, and I'm looking at him putting his hand in his pocket, and I'm thinking, he puts his hand in his pocket, and I'm going to bang him and run. Where am I going to run to? I don't know, right? So anyway, cut a long story short, we go in, uh, we go in um, Roy's change room, I go and see Roy, see how he is. Uh, cut a long story short, the promoter of the show thought I was so far gone. This is what I can gather. I was so far gone that he was looking so good I think he told, or what I can gather, he told them I was taking a dive or, or something along them lines, and they lost a lot of money. <laughs> so so I'd like you to be here talking to you now. But as it happens, after all sorts, they were great. Uh, we were back in the hotel, we had Alex Hughes eating drunk, drunk champagne and ate cheesecakes and spewed in, in a hundred grand limo on the way home. And, <laughs> Then he changed bollock naked in the middle of Moscow airport to get, get changed to all the off his clothes. Um, oh, I was just mad. He spewed, he spewed in the um, spewed in a limo, and as we turned in the corner, we could hear the spew swishing across oh, the floor. Oh, don't fight. We get up to the car now, and uh, we've got this little Russian driver, and he goes, and all he would see is Alex. Oh, sorry, but I'll... Uh, I'll get that clean, he said. <laughs> he's spewing all about his bags. He's spewing Liam Williams' clothes. Um, oh, it, it was just mad. And, and, and this guy then, he, he phoned Francis Warren, the, the head of this gang. Um, and they, they do a lot of charity work, but I don't think they, they want us to mess with. They don't want yeah, yeah. to mess with. So he, he, said to, he said to Francis, um, you know, whatever happened, happened. Uh, the Russian public loved Denzel. Uh, we'd love him to come back. He can name it, he can fight for exactly the same money against nobody's just to get him up. So Francis is looking at me now with pound signs in his eyes. I'm looking at him going, No. You're not getting me out there again. <laughs> so he phoned me about he phoned me about four weeks later. It was a, it was a MMA show out there and he invited me and Francis. And I said you've got no chance. No chance, you might not come back. Brilliant. Right, a lot of the ones that's come through, we've, we've touched on. Um, you've got a couple of your mates on. Your Marley Swindlers, asking why you ain't answering the phone to me. Uh, Marley Bennett, 
asking why he sucked me into a role, then choked me out because I, I was taking it easy because I didn't realise he'd done anything. Marley used to box a lot with me. Um, yeah, good lads. Marcel does box with me and, you know, I'd take him on a pads one day and he, he, said, he said, oh, you know, I'd be able to take it down. And I said, oh, I said, it can't be that hard. I said, it's easy. He, he didn't have a clue what he knew what he was doing. So he went, he went to take me down and I jumped up, called guard, guillotined it. He was, <laughs> he was, I told him after. But Marley, Marley, good boy, good friend of mine, took him up to London for a Total Combat show, got to the final uh, in two weeks' notice. Need a good kid. Yeah, good lads. Both, both good boys. I like two of them. Both good fighters as well, MMA-wise, you know, two of them. Um, One of my students, Jeff Deacon, I fitted a boiler at Enzo's house 15 years ago in Swansea. Can you ask him if it's still working? <laughs> my house in Swansea 15 years ago? Oh, he might, he might have. I don't know. I think I've moved, I've moved since then. Moved so since. They, they, rent, they rent those now. I don't think we've had any problems, so, so it might be all right. Brilliant. I gotta ask you this last one. It's off on your mates, Mike Edwards. Mike's asked, um, "How did it feel to stop Oval McKenzie in the Lem front to revenge the loss after some had written uh, written you off to win the Commonwealth Championship?" I know it felt good to me being an Enzo fan. Um, just your thoughts on that, bud? For a start, Mike's a good lad. Yeah, great, bro. I've had Mike on the podcast. Oh, good boy, good boy, Mike. I've known him a long time. It, it was a brilliant feeling. Everyone written me off. Everyone didn't want me to fight him. You know, I said, I'll go straight at him. Uh, I remember being at the press conference and, you know, I, I told them, they said, are you ready? What's the camp been like? I said, well, everyone says, you know, I'm the best I've ever been. I missed that. I said, all I need to tell you is I'm ready. Uh, and I, the bell went. I went straight at him. Uh, and it probably, right, even though it was in the Mortal Point Arena, so it wasn't as big as the Millennium, the atmosphere that night for my fight it was the best I've ever had. Best you've ever had, yeah? Yeah, it was amazing. It was. Brilliant. Right, last question for you before I let you go, Enz. Um, who's your favourite fighter of all time? And if you could have a dream matchup with anybody from the past, who would it be? Uh, my favourite fighter, I've got too many. Um, Tyson, Duran, Gatti, Barrera, Marquez, any of, the, any of them fights, Chavez, uh, yeah. any of them. Dream matchup. Holyfield, just for the just for the, the fact I get I guess I'd be battered by the, the cruiserweight king. Yeah, brilliant. It, just before you go, if he was going to come back, MMA, what weight would it be? Light heavyweight? Uh, no, I'd far no. What's light heavy? Two oh five. Two oh five, yeah. No, I'd be middle light. Middle one eight five, yeah. I'm only about one nine five now. One nine, yeah. So you easy cut. To be honest, but there's there's boys our weight cut into one seventy. I can send you a diet plan if you fancy it. <laughs> to be honest, right when I when I weighed, when I boxed like Eddie McKenzie, I think I was one seven five. Yeah, uh, and I think I come in at one seven two. So I reckon I can make one seventy, but I don't weigh one seventy as Vanderlei. Like. <laughs> right, and I can't thank you enough, but for giving up your time, it was a great chat, and um, I think a lot of the people you know will, will have a great insight into into how you got involved in boxing and how you how your career went as a pro and. Um, do, do you want to just give uh, give everybody that's listening a, a quick shout out for your gym? Yeah, my, my gym is born in my ABC. Um, you know, we're going to be posting a, a lot of things on social media, let people get updated in the gym. More than welcome to come down. Yourself, you do boys, you're more than welcome to come down. I got a lot of boys there, so we're going to be good for my boys as well. Yeah, we'll take you up on that, but definitely. Uh, we'll, bring, we'll bring them up. So, um, yeah, just uh, have a good day, get over this. Uh, COVID-19 pandemic, which I'm, uh, I'm sure won't be long. 
Yeah, fingers well. And what's your, where can they find you on Twitter? What's your Twitter? Uh, Real Enzo Mac. Um, not for the faint-hearted. Uh, if you follow me, anyone with a sense of humour, don't get sarcasm. It's best you won't follow me. Yeah, I, I, I can testify to that, lads, as well, and ladies and gents. So, right, Enz, uh, hopefully this lockdown uh, is over soon, but and uh, we will pay you a visit. Thanks for your time, buddy. Cheers, Rich. Till then, mate.